Thanks, Marielle. Well, good evening again, everyone. I'm so stoked to be here with you all. I love being with you guys and being able to open God's Word together. I reckon you guys made a great decision to come along to church tonight. It's always so good to be able to gather, hear God speak through His Word. I hope tonight's helpful for you guys as we think particularly through what does it look like to endure in our faith. Let me pray for us again before we start. Father, thank you so much for gathering us here tonight. And God, we ask that tonight you might help us to endure and keep our eyes fixed on you, that the joy of what you have accomplished for us at the cross would motivate us to press on, to not give up, and to keep loving you, Jesus, until the end of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, have you guys ever heard of the marathon runner, Eliud Kipchoge? He's from Kenya, and he currently holds the world record for the fastest marathon time. In fact, just last year, there should be a photo of him on the screen, just last year, he actually set a record, a new world record, of two hours, one minute, and nine seconds. That's running just over 42 kilometers in two hours. Now, here are some of his quotes about endurance. He says, endurance is not just about running with your legs. It's about running with your heart and soul. This one, which will be on the screen, is that where the marathon starts is after 30 kilometers. And that's where you feel pain everywhere in your body. The muscles are really aching, and only the most prepared and well-organized athlete is going to do well after that. Now, I've actually dabbled in some long-distance running myself. Uh, a few years ago, my wife and I, we enrolled in the ASB Run the City. Uh, we get to kind of run across the Harbour Bridge. Uh, and it was actually a pretty proud moment for me. I actually managed to finish in a time pretty close to Elliot Kipchoge's time. The only difference was I was doing a half marathon, so details, right? Um, but I, I was actually pretty stoked. Um, but he can run twice as fast as me of doing the marathon. You see, the ability to endure will make or break an athlete. So even if you're not a runner, I'm sure you can think of examples of where you might have had to endure. If you're a fan of the New Zealand Warriors, maybe you've endured the last 28 years of not being able to make it, uh, not being able to win the NRL Grand Final. Last night I had to endure watching the game, losing sleep over that, losing another hour of sleep because of daylight savings, um, and unfortunately the dream is over again. If you're a student, maybe you've had to endure some long nights, some, in, some late nights, working on your assignments, hoping it will be worth it. But how about when it comes to enduring in your faith? I don't know if you guys can remember when you put your trust in Jesus. For some of you, it might have been quite recently, whereas for others, it could be a long time ago. Does it feel like things were maybe simpler back then? Is there any part of you that feels it was easier back then to trust Jesus when life was easier or simpler? But how about today? What are you guys going through now? Are there any things in your life that's actually making it hard for you to keep trusting in Jesus? Maybe for some of you at the moment, it feels like you're 30 kilometers into the race. You can feel the pain, and it's hard. Whether this be relationship struggles, maybe health concerns, financial pressure, mental illness, loneliness, or perhaps all of the above. You see, when these hardships come upon us, uh, it can be hard uh, to keep enduring. There can be a temptation to actually walk away from God. Now, I don't necessarily mean throwing in the towel on your faith altogether, 
but the temptation to slowly drift. And instead of trusting God with your day-to-day actions, that he knows what's best for you, you might allow sin to creep in. Sometimes it's assumed that as a Christian, it should be all good. You're running the race and you can see other people, they look like they're doing fine running next to you. And you wonder, am I the only one who's struggling? And not only that, but is this what it's supposed to be like? And is it going to be worth it? Well, I think tonight's passage in Hebrews 12 says loud and clear, yes, it is worth it. And there are others who have gone before us, who have gone through hardship, but who endured till the very end. You see, the book of Hebrews is written primarily to Jewish Christians. And for them, there was a lot of temptation to actually revert to their former ways of Judaism, to throw in the towel of their faith and go back to a far less radical idea with far less persecution. So let's have a look at this passage and see the author's call to endurance. He says in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. So the author here, he's likening the Christian faith to that of an endurance race, to a marathon. Now, you wouldn't call it an endurance race unless there was actually some pain involved. In fact, the word that we have for, for, for agony comes from the Greek word for race. You see, you don't have to endure very much if your team is winning all the time. But endurance means continuing even when everything in you wants to give up. He also says that part of what it looks like to endure is to actually lay aside sin and hindrances, the things that might be slowing you down. Now, this could be the sin, the explicitly bad thing that you feel like you're easily ensnared by, that often trips you up. But he also uses the word for laying aside hindrances. What does that mean? Well, the word here for hindrances is actually just means like a bulk or a weight of something. It's something that, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can slow you down in the race. Sometimes my wife and I, we disagree about exactly how much is necessary to pack before we leave the house, especially now that we've got a toddler. It's every time we leave the house, you know, have you got the nappies, have you got the, have you got the wet wipes, have you got the snacks, have you got a drink bottle? It could rain, you know, why don't we pack a rain jacket? Or it could be sunny, let's pack his hat. And before I know it, I'm lugging around this huge bag and it's weighing me down and all I wanted was to go to pack and save for some milk. Why do I need to carry all of this stuff? Now, none of those things are bad. They all could be good things, but they still slow me down. And I think the Christian life can be like this too. In our lives, are there things that maybe are not explicitly bad, but they can still slow us down? I think it could be material things. It could be investments, relationships, maybe habits, even TV shows. And we we say to ourselves, yeah, but what's wrong with that? You know, what's so bad about this? But I think we're asking the wrong question. Does this help me run? Does this help me run for Jesus? I think what the author is saying here, and what God is saying tonight, is that if it doesn't, get rid of it. Lay it aside. So the author is giving us this call 
to endure, which means laying aside the hindrances and sin which easily entangle us. I don't know about you, but it's easier said than done, right? But he doesn't end there. He also provides us with examples of endurance, a motivation for endurance, and also the results of endurance. So that's where we're heading. Next point in your outline is about examples of endurance. Have another look with me at the beginning of verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we, have a large, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Who are these people? Who's this cloud of witnesses surrounding us? Well, I think you'd have to go back and read Hebrews chapter 11. You see, Hebrews chapter 11 is a real, quite a famous passage, actually. The Hall of Faith. It's got lots of examples of people who persevered by faith. I'll give you a couple of examples on the screen. Verse 7 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. And by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. The author seems to be saying, hey, look ahead of you. Look at those that have gone before. Look at their faith. Look at how they persevered. And if they did, you can too. So in my limited time doing some long-distance running, uh, one thing I remember is that it's always pretty motivating when you can see someone else in front of you. You know, you can see them running ahead. They might make it through some harsh terrain. They might keep running even up a steep hill, and you're like, oh, I guess I should as well. And it's super motivating. But on the flip side, it's really hard to keep running when no one's in sight, when it feels like you're the only one. Oh, maybe I'll just take this, this hill a bit slower, slower. Maybe I'll walk for this bit. So I think to endure as a Christian, it's so helpful for us to look to examples. First place you can go to, of course, is actually God's word itself. I'd encourage you to look over what the author of Hebrews gives us in chapter 11. This awesome list of people who, though they were far from perfect, continued to endure by faith. Not only that, but I think you can also look ahead of you at other Christians who are perhaps a bit further ahead in the race. Who are people who might have gone through something similar and kept trusting in Jesus? Now, this might mean, actually, um, interacting with people who aren't just at the same stage of life as you, um, but, but the older generations as well. Um, people who might have gone a bit further ahead of us and see how they persevered. So I think that's the first example of endurance we see, uh, is looking to the cloud of witnesses. Now, the second example we see here, the ultimate example, is Jesus himself. Have another look at the first two verses. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So to persevere, to endure, keep your eyes on Christ. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes that actually sounds kind of vague to me. What does that mean to keep your eyes on Christ? 
You know, when I'm going through hardship, do I imagine a picture of him? What does he look like? Is it like the actor from The Chosen? Or, you know, how long was his beard? I don't know. Like, what do you think of? What does it mean to keep your eyes on Christ? Well, actually, I think what it means is look at his example. Look at how he endured. Keep reading with me in verse 3. It says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You see, Jesus endured such hostility against himself. He was mocked, he was beaten, he was falsely accused because of his faith, but he endured all the way to shedding blood on the cross for us. Now, a question I have when I, when I read this is actually, was Jesus' faith really being tested? Was it easier for him uh, because he's God? Well, I'm reminded of earlier in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4, verse 15, which says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, was, one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. You see, I think Jesus wasn't only resisting against sinners and against the persecution of sinful people here. I think Jesus was also resisting the temptation to sin. You see, whenever you go through suffering or hardship, we have a choice. Do you trust God or do you sin? Those are your two options. Because sin is really just a mistrust of God and a mistrust that he knows what's best for me, to stop believing in God's goodness. And don't we so easily fall into sin when we go through hardship at a moment's notice? Good question for us tonight, I think, is where might you use your hardship as an excuse for sin? Maybe it's in relationship struggles, Uh, There's the temptation to gossip or slander, speak badly about someone else. Perhaps we might justify sexual sin and falling into temptation because we're having struggles in our relationships or in our marriage, or even the hardship of not being able to find a spouse that we desire. Maybe there's hardship in finances, which I think a lot of people are feeling right now. There can be a temptation to cut corners Uh, and our taxes, or to just be greedy and selfish. I think with all of these hardships, there's a a temptation to stop meeting with God's people, to stop being in the Word, and to stop praying. Now, I'm not saying, hey, just suck it up, (laughs) get on with it, Um, you know, suppress those negative emotions, don't let them out. No, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, I'm reminded to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, who was in so much anguish, he too was tempted to throw in the towel. He says in Luke 22, verse 42, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Look, he still suffered. He was still crying out to God. You know, he was still saying, hey, if you can, remove this from me. But yet he didn't stop trusting God. 
He didn't sin all the way to the cross. So absolutely, as you go through hard stuff, cry out to your heavenly Father. Talk to God. Cry out to your brothers and sisters in Christ around you. But don't let suffering or hardship ever be an excuse to sin. Surely if anyone had the right to complain, it was Jesus. I mean, he had just lived a perfect life, been treated like a villain, accused of blasphemy. Surely he'd have the right to like a snarky comment, the right to complain, to point out the fact that the very people torturing him were doing so with the breath he provided. But no. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. So when you're going through something hard and the temptation of sin or to stop trusting in God is real, look to Jesus as the ultimate example of resisting. So I think these are the two examples we see of endurance. But now let's look at the motivation of endurance. Have another look with me at verse 2. The last part of the verse says this. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus, he was motivated by joy. The joy of what? Well, I think it's actually the joy of what his death would accomplish. You see, at the end of that verse, it says that he would sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. This actually points back to the first chapter of Hebrews, where it says that Jesus, having made purification for our sins, would sit at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's similar to what we see in Romans chapter 8, where Jesus actually sits at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. That's where he intercedes on behalf of us to his Father. So I think Jesus, seeing what his death would accomplish, that he, his death, would save you and me, and that he would intercede on our behalf, I think it brought him joy. And that's what motivated him to endure. And I think there's a great joy that lies before us as well. You see, I think Jesus is not just the example runner. He's actually also the prize at the end, being united with him. You see, I think the motivation to actually lay aside hindrances and sin is being motivated by a joy of something so much better in the fleeting pleasure of sin. Salvation in Christ. Why do we sin? Why don't we trust God? I think it's when we've forgotten the joy of our salvation. King David, in Psalm 51, after he'd committed adultery, he actually says to God, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So the motivation to lay aside sin isn't that you need to in order to somehow claw your way back to God or earn salvation again. No, the motivation always has to be the fact that you're already set free. It doesn't define you anymore. So how are you guys doing with remembering the joy of your salvation, of meditating on the riches that you have in Christ? I think if we did a better job at dwelling on that reality, I think it would make it easier for us to say no to sin in the moment. If we could reflect on just the privilege that we have 
to know Jesus? And how well do you do at actually turning to Jesus when you sin? I think sometimes we get scared. We think, oh, God's upset at me. He's going to be like, oh, Michael, sinning again, again. Not you again. (laughs) No, that's not the case. You see, I think when we go to Jesus, it brings him joy. It brought him joy, the thought of being able to intercede on behalf of you and I so that we could have relationship with God. So keep turning to Jesus as both the prevention and the antidote for when you sin. And it will still bring Christ joy. So we've talked about the examples of endurance and the motivation. I think the last section, it talks about the results of endurance. So the first result I think we see is discipline. Have a read with me in Hebrews 12, verse 5 and 7. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. I think discipline, it's going through a painful process in order to learn obedience. And the author is saying that the suffering that you're going through is actually discipline from the Lord. Now, sometimes we can see a clear link of why we're getting disciplined. You know, we've, maybe we've stuffed up, we've broken God's commands. And while we're not needing to pay for the eternal consequences of our sin, there are some earthly consequences and realities. And I think we need to see that as God saying, don't do that again. But how about the suffering that we feel like has no direct link to us? Maybe we feel like we're being persecuted uh, for standing up for Jesus. Or even worse, maybe we feel like there's just no good reason for our suffering at all. I think this is one of the hardest parts, actually, of this passage for me to grapple with. I think it's important to note that the Bible never attributes uh, God as the source of evil. Evil is completely against God's character and nature. But he does allow it. The reason why he allows it, I think, is a, is a very complex question uh, that I don't think I can fully answer today. But we see that people are very much still responsible for their actions, yet God reigns over those actions and are able to use them for his purposes. The easiest way I could summarize it is to say what others might mean for our evil, God can mean it for our good. So you can actually grow in discipline and obedience, even when you might not understand why right now. In fact, I think it might grow our obedience more when we don't understand why we're going through this. Did you guys ever at school have to do laps around the field for doing something wrong? Fortunately, I remember that. Or even worse, can you remember when, you had, had, when the whole class had to go and do laps around the field because of some idiot who stuffed it up for the rest of us? You know, even when though it wasn't your fault, you feel like, oh, I have to be going, doing laps around the field because of the sinful actions of my classmates. 
I think it's far harder to obey in that instance. But it probably grows your obedience and your discipline more and more. And you have to trust that your teacher, and you have to trust that your teacher knows what's best. So if you're here tonight and things are tough right now, I'm sorry. The consequences of living in the broken world, they suck. Sometimes we can see the reason, but other times it can seem so random. Random sickness, illness, disease. Now we might not know why God has allowed this evil, but we do know God, and we know that it grieves him too. So much so that he sent his son to suffer with us and for us, so that one day we might be without suffering forever. And in this life, he's able to use this suffering to actually grow us, to discipline us. So I think that's the first result of endurance we see in this passage, is discipline. The second result of endurance is that it proves our sonship. Have another look with me at verse 7 and 8. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So if God uses suffering as a way to discipline you, it's because you're his child. Even persecution at the hand of sinners is allowed by a loving father who means it for our good. It says in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It kind of begs the question, if we're not being persecuted, if life isn't hard, are we living a godly life? I think that's in line with what the author of Hebrews is saying here. If you don't go through any hardship, you might be an illegitimate child. So discipline actually proves that we are God's children. We recently went away with our Connect group. Uh, for our Connect group weekend away, it was awesome. Uh, we went up to Mungify. Uh, took my toddler, Josiah, with us. Uh, and there's another girl there, Olive, who's like two days younger than him. Um, and when these two get together, it's crazy. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, they run around screaming. Sometimes they push each other into the wall. Um, it's pretty crazy. And it brings a lot of joy to watch them. Um, but occasionally, you know, um, things can turn a bit sour. You know, maybe someone gets a bit too excited or someone gets jealous of the other one and, you know, limbs are then flying at each other with force. Uh, and maybe someone gets hit. So this would happen a couple of times on our weekend away. Um, and I, I remember watching what happened in those moments. It was kind of cool because you would actually see the parents from both sides kind of descending on the situation. Uh, for the kid who had hit the other one, um, I think it was often Josiah, um, you could see how much his parent um, loved him by how they stepped in and rebuked and encouraged them to apologize. But even for the kid who got hit, you could see how the parent was actually trying to teach them obedience through this as well, and how they might respond lovingly even when they were hurt. So I think the love of our Heavenly Father is like this. 
He is quick to step into our suffering, whether we caused it or not, whether to rebuke or to comfort. And I think both of these things show his love for his children. So in the midst of suffering, look for examples of how God is caring for you as his children. Could be looking at examples in his word. Looking at his love for us at the cross. The fact he works all things together for our good and that you can keep trusting in him. Look to examples around you and hopefully feel the care of your heavenly father through the people around you and your church family. That's the second result of endurance. It proves our sonship. So the last result that we see of endurance is that it grows our holiness. Have a read with me of verse 10 and 11. For they disciplined us for a short time, meaning our earthly fathers, based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So like I mentioned earlier, God disciplines us for our good. I feel like there's this growing sentiment in our culture that if something is hard or painful, it was wrong. We like to determine right and wrong these days by whether it brings us pain or pleasure. And this is where I think following Jesus is so countercultural. Because it will be hard and it will be pain, but it will be worth it. That's for our benefit. So that long term, we would actually grow in holiness. If you've done any kind of physical training at all, You've probably heard the motto, no pain, no gain. And I think that's what it's like as well in the Christian life. That every time you endure, you become a bit stronger. Every time that you say no to sin, trusting in God and his goodness instead, you grow in obedience. And it can become that much easier to say no to sin the next time. So I want you guys to ask yourself, whether you might be going through a hard situation now or will in the future, how is God using this to grow your holiness? What is the fruit of righteousness that it mentions here? What is the fruit of righteousness that God is growing in you? I mentioned relationship struggles before. These really can be an opportunity for God to grow our patience, our self-control, and how we might respond to someone. Struggles with finances, they're an opportunity to grow our contentment, finding our worth and our riches in Christ. So I think that's the last result of endurance that we see in our passage tonight. Well, I hope that you guys have been challenged and encouraged by God's word tonight. We've seen this call to endure, this call to lay aside hindrances and sin. We've seen examples of the great cloud of witnesses. We've seen examples of the ultimate example of Jesus Christ who resisted sin even to the point of death. We've seen the results of enduring that we might be disciplined as God's children so that we might share in his holiness.
If you're here today and you're just checking out who Jesus is, you might not yet call yourself a Christian. It's awesome you're here. And I hope you guys can see that there's this great cloud of witnesses, both in God's word and also around you here. People who are trusting in Jesus, not out of wishful thinking, but because they think and believe that he's the real deal. That he truly did die on the cross and raised to life. And that because of that truth and that hope, it's worth clinging on to him even through our challenges and through suffering. So can I challenge you to think carefully before you might walk away from this God, ignoring what he has to say. You see, life will be full of suffering no matter what you believe. But with Jesus, our suffering is so worth it. You see, this passage in particular has been really impactful in my life, actually, reminding me of this truth. You see, after leaving uni 10 years ago, uh, me and some of the guys that I met from student life, uh, we formed a bit of an accountability group. It was a group of guys who would con continue to meet together every one or two months to encourage each other to be laying aside sin, to be in the Word, to be keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. We called this group, uh, our accountability group, we called it the runners uh, because of this passage in particular, to keep running the race. And we've kept meeting from then up until now, almost a decade of meeting together. And this year, we've actually needed it more than ever. You see, this year, one of the guys that I meet with, uh, his name's Jono, um, he and his wife have been going through some really tough stuff. They, find out, they found out pretty early uh, in their pregnancy with their second child that their daughter had a severe skull defect, which likely makes her incompatible with life outside of the womb. There's about a one in 10,000 chance that this can happen. This has been devastating news. My heart aches for them. There have been many tears and uh, crying out to God asking for him to remove the suffering, asking for him to heal their daughter. And to be honest, there's still a lot of unanswered questions and so many unknowns. But I've continued to see them trust God through it all. I've seen them resist the temptation to end the pregnancy, to take the easy way out, but to carry on with the pregnancy and trust God with a completely unknown and really, really hard future. The mum, she gave me permission to quote her Instagram post. She said, These days, in moments of great sorrow, I am accompanied by hope. Not hope that my baby is going to be healthy and live long, though I totally believe my God can heal, but a real and sure hope. A hope that knows no matter what happens with my pregnancy, whatever happens with my body and the precious life within it, my God is good. I only need to cast my eyes on Jesus and see that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with griefs. And on the cross, I see God is able and willing to bring about the best things, our redemption, out of the worst things, the death of his own son. And this is what brings God glory. Guys, how amazing is that? 
that's what it looks like to live the race with endurance. To keep trusting God when it doesn't make sense, when you don't know what's going on. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus, motivated by the joy of being with him both now and into eternity. An eternity when all pain and suffering will be done away with. When we get to bask in God's glory and we get to see God's glory reflected on the eyes of one another as we grew in his holiness, as we grew in his character to be more like him. That is why, church, we can endure in our faith. Let me pray right now that we'd be able to do that. Father, I thank you so much again for your word um, to us tonight. Lord, I pray for us as a church uh, to be a church that endures, that endures through the hardship of life both now and into the future. God, there are so many things that are hard and can cause us to, to doubt, um, to be tempted and to stop trusting you and fall into sin. God, we're sorry when we do that. Thank you, God, so much that you welcome us back every time. That it, you counted it as joy to suffer at the cross for us so that we could be united with you for all eternity. God, please help us to be a church that endures. Help us to be a church that cares for one another um, as we suffer not just ignoring our pain or suppressing it, but bringing it to you, Lord, and bringing it to one another. That we might be encouraged and sharpen each other to keep trusting you, God, to grow us in obedience and holiness, like your son, Jesus. Pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful, and if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.